Hi everyone, uh, welcome back to Hypothesis. In this episode, we're talking about animal learning. Yeah, so I'm gonna have a little stir. Um, so what are the differences, first of all, between innate and learned behaviors? So if something is innate, you're sort of born with knowing how to do it. So that's mm. kind of like animals suckling, things like that. And then a learned behavior is something that you learn how to do throughout your lifetime. Mm. But the thing is, it's a pretty blurry line between the two because even though you're born being able to know things, you're also sometimes born in a way that it makes it easy, easier for you to learn certain behaviors. Yeah, like I say I was born to dance, but maybe I just <laughs> got good at it. Maybe not. <laughs> so for example, like some birds, they have an innate preference to learn their species song. So mm. they still need to learn the song, but they also have that innate part of them that is like, it's actually easier for you to learn your own song, that mm. sort of thing. And then there's also the example of imprinting, which um, I think it's kind of famous for like, duck, it's ducklings, I think it was, that um, basically they get attracted to the first thing they see when they hatch, which is usually their mother. And then there was an experiment done where the first thing they saw were boots and they just oh, yes. decided to follow their boots. So the innate thing is, yeah, I'm gonna recognize the first thing I see, but they learned the wrong thing, even mm. though it was an innate behavior. And there are lots of different ways to learn and there are very like complexities of like different levels of learning. One of the most basic ones is habituation. So that's when you learn to get used to things. Um, mm. An example is of a tube worm, which is basically <laughs> just a worm in a tube underwater. And yeah, the main example, well, the main experiment, I suppose, for this is where you have the little tube worm sticking out. So when you say a tube, what, you say a worm in a tube. What okay, do you it's mean? not actually a worm in a tube. It's a tube worm. You can look it up if you want to see a okay. photo. But like, it, it comes out of its tube. All right. And if it sometimes can get hit like by algae, let's say. And it'll get hit and it'll retract. Sort of like, you know, they see an Oh, this is like a tube in the ground. I was like, is this just a floating tube? I didn't know what was going on. (laughs) Yeah, so like, you know, the way you see an enemy has little tentacle things coming out of it. Yeah. It's kind of like that, but it's tube version. Oh, okay. And so if it gets hit by something, it'll be like, oh my God, like it could be a predator or whatever. I'm going to hide in my tube. And then it comes back out and then it gets hit again. And it's like, oh my God, I'm going to hide. But then after a while, it keeps getting hit. And it's like, nothing bad happens when I'm getting hit by this thing which in, I suppose, a real life example would be algae, but then in this experiment was just someone like poking it. And so it just gets used to it. Mm. And we ourselves learn kind of via habituation, for example, when your room smells, <laughs> you mm. don't notice it because you're in it, you just get used to it, but then you can be dishabituated. So if you leave yeah. and come back, you come back and you're like, oh my God, that actually smells real bad. <laughs> but then, Rehabituation just means that you get used to it even faster. So oh, okay. yeah, it, the more you, I suppose you're exposed to it, the easier it is to relearn it. Then there's associative learning. So this is where you learn the association between a stimulus and an outcome. So the most famous example of this is Pavlov's dog. So in this experiment, they took a dog and stuck a tube in its salivary glands um, to measure how much it was salivating and it they would ring a bell and show the dog food or well give the dog food and the food would yeah. eat it and that that's their I suppose it's a reward but they just gave it food and they continuously did this 
until they got to a stage where they could ring the bell and the dog would salivate before it even saw the food. Mm. So the dog basically made an association between the sound of the bell, which was the stimulus, and the outcome, which was food. Yeah. And so they can reproduce this experiment in different ways and they find that, you know, there's lots of different factors that affect how easy it is for them to learn it. Like, is the bell louder or not? If the reward is bigger, smaller, like that affects like how well they learn and how long it takes to learn that association. Mm. And then there's instrumental learning, which is kind of similar, except it's learning the association between an action and an outcome. So this is kind of used in animal training. Like if you do this or whatever, the dog, if you sit, yeah. you get a reward, which is whatever, a treat. Um, and they did this for one of the experiments they did was pigeons pecking for food. So you have them in like a little box and if they peck this thing, they get food. Or if you peck this other thing, you get water and things like that. And you can learn. Like, the when you say you get water, you mean like uh, you, you drink them. water or you spray them with water? Uh, no, no, you drink water. You <laughs> oh, drink okay. Water. I thought this was like a punishment no, or, no, this or a reward nice situation. There was another experiment which wasn't so nice, which is Thorndike's box. Sorry for cat lovers out there, but they put a cat in a box, basically, um, with a treadle. Do you know what that is? I actually no. had to look it up. <laughs> so exposing myself, but it's a lever worked by the foot and impact, and it has an impact on the motion uh, in on a machine. Okay. So basically, you hit it. So in the in this case, you hit the lever or press the lever and the box like it turns the machine so that the box opens so the cat can get out mm. so you put it in the box and at the start the cat will like accidentally hit the lever or whatever and then it'll you know be able to escape which is obviously a reward yeah. <laughs> no one wants to be stuck in a box i think we all know after quarantine <laughs> that we don't want to be in boxes but um yeah and then after a while the cat like made the association if i actually hit this lever i'm going to yeah. get out and it makes it much quicker and they they saw that, you know, if you take the cat away, you know, it doesn't go through this whole cat in a box situation for a long time. It's like a Schrodinger's cat situation. <laughs> yeah. Except the cat can leave. Yeah, the cat can leave. Well, if it figures out how to. Yeah. But if you put the cat back in after it hasn't done it for a while, it actually doesn't remember what to do, but it does learn quicker. So it's kind of like the rehabituation situation where you That's learn right. faster Yeah, after you've done it before. And mm. then obviously, well, not obviously, but I suppose one of the most highest levels of learning is kind of cognitive reasoning, that sort of aspect of learning, which has only really seriously been proposed for apes and humans, and also kind of proposed for dolphins, parrots, and do you want to guess what other animal? Crow? Cows. Cows, yeah. <laughs> yeah, cows. I don't know why, but yeah, cows. So they're, I suppose, right. the main yeah aspects of learning. Yeah, yeah. so then um, one sort of theory of learning in a lot of animals is this theory of play so like why do animals play yeah um you know some people say it's just for fun mm -hmm. um but then other people would more cynically say you know these beings that have perceived lower intelligence than us do they even know what fun is is yeah. everything not just for some purpose at the end of the day so uh that's why they think that maybe play is a form of learning so generally, it's, it, play is defined as an activity that doesn't seem to make an immediate contribution to the individual. So it's quite a broad definition. Yeah. Um, but there are also like so-called characteristics of play, which include things like repeated movements and exaggerated movements by mm -hmm. certain animals. Um, 
And they're also seen to be carry out, carried out much more often by immature animals compared to mature animals. So yeah, so uh, yeah, using those criteria, they sort of define oh, that's playing. That's not... immature. Be just like younger. Yeah, it, yeah, 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 yeah. Not as in like a personality. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you have the development of like these so-called play signals as well, so that the animals can actually indicate to each other that they're playing. Okay. Um, so in dogs, if a dog like bows its head down and yeah. sort of lifts its hind in the air, then you sort of know, even anyone who owns a dog, you know, yeah. would know that that means the dog wants to play. Um, in primates, it's more like down to facial expressions. And in humans, it's a smile. Uh, mm. One thing I remember hearing before is a smile in an ape does not always mean play. Sometimes ape smiles are like aggressive smiles. <laughs> so it's more about their facial expressions. Um, so like, for example, humans know very quickly if a child is like smiling or like laughing yeah. while doing something that they're playing around. Um, and some play signals and some animals are more vocal. So mm-hmm. like chimps laugh as well. Oh, yeah. um, but what I thought was funny was that uh, I was reading that kangaroos cough when they're playing, which is just a really <laughs> weird thing to imagine. Yeah, that um, is quite Especially in the current context yes. uh, of the world. You, you might not want to be accused of, uh, of coughing. Um, and then the vocal signals seem to be especially important in animals that uh, carry out play fighting. So like where you might not be able to see the facial expression because you're in the middle of this like sort oh, of yeah. uh, fake brawl. So like at least if you're making the right noises, you yeah. know, the other, the other animal knows that you're still playing around. It's not too serious. Um, and then one thing that's amazingly shared between animals and humans is the idea of self-handicapping during play. Mm-hmm. So like we see this with children where an older child might let the younger child win the odd time. Like let's say they're even playing a video game or something yeah. or game of soccer uh, so that the younger child will keep playing and won't get sick of it. This is actually seen in animals as well. That yeah. if they're playing like a fighting game and one of them is much better than the other. The younger one will stop playing very quickly. So the older one will learn to let the, the younger one win yeah. the odd time. Um, so sometimes the more mature animal, the one that knows the game better, uh, like for example the play fighting will allow themselves to be put into a more precarious position so it might let the younger animal sort of have it that it's almost won the fight yeah. and that's that's seen as a possible training method for what to do if you're in that situation so what if you're yeah. losing a fight how do you win from that stage because yeah. if you're obviously just used to winning the fight from step one you're not going to get much training to what happens if you start losing so, so that way both animals are like learning, learning. Yeah, yeah yeah so that, that's a theory anyway it might still be down to play but um, yeah but yeah, that's still very much up to debate because it's a very hard thing to, to test. Yeah. So it looks like play isn't usually essential for a lot of animals. Um, and because in more dangerous environments, it's seen a lot less. So where animals okay. are observed, if they're in danger, they don't seem to play around too much. So it might be something that if you have the energy to do, mm-hmm. um, it's worth doing because it's sort of like training or might give you some sort of joy. But if, uh, if, if things are quite dangerous, you're not going to start yeah, playing around and uh, wasting your energy on that. <laughs> So uh, ravens have been shown to learn about what's edible and what isn't through playing. And cats play with objects more when they're hungry, which sort of really? shows, yeah, uh, which shows that cats uh, might have play linked to their uh, hunting instincts. Um, and then another interesting observation is that animals that hunt in groups are more likely to play with objects in groups, while animals that hunt alone uh, don't share objects when they're playing. No way. So that sort of is another link to potentially it could be got to do with hunting. That like yeah. if you bring down an animal together with your pack, then also you play games um, and yeah. with your pack with the same object. So it's almost like practicing holding an object together and things like that. Whereas yeah, that makes sense. if you hunt alone, you don't need that practice. So you just yeah. play by yourself to teach yourself how to grip things. Um, and then yeah, there's just a lot of unknowns in the study of play. 
Um, it's ultimately not really known if it's a big part of learning and brain function or if it's just something that we've assumed because we want to yeah. rationalize think, yeah. everything. Um, and there's lots of other theories of play. Um, and yeah, it's just a really cool area, I think, for uh, zoologists to try to interpret. Because um, yeah. there's a lot of these sort of rules that they've tried to nail down in play, but then usually there's at least one or two species where mm -hmm. that rule doesn't seem to make any sense, so they have to rewrite it again. Because like in some animals, play is very dangerous. Like in, uh, I think it's seals or is it sea lions? I can't remember. <laughs> but uh, they, they, they play on the icebergs a lot and a lot of them die. Yeah. Like cubs die um, from playing because they yeah. fall into, into the sea and, and get eaten. So play can be, also be quite dangerous. So does that show that it's something that wouldn't exist unless it was beneficial, potentially? Maybe. Or it could just be that it's something that they get a lot of joy out of and it just wasn't enough of an evolutionary barrier for it to, to yeah, stop happening. Maybe. So, yeah, it's an interesting one. Yeah, that is weird. And, like, I know the way you're saying that, like, it's really hard. Like, we don't know if what play is or, like, if it's, like, what it's even about and why they do it. And I feel like a lot of this sort of how animals learn and how they behave, I think that whole field is very much, like, we don't really know. Yeah. And, like, m we do, I suppose, know some things. But um, also it's, like, are we just imposing you know our own beliefs and like what we know about ourselves and yeah. humans onto there's animals and like it's completely different like we don't know what they're thinking really yeah there's definitely so. a big thing of like that whole area is uh plagued by just social intervention like what we think yeah. and even observations of uh you know humans playing yeah. like children and that sort of thing it was like all these studies that showed that boys were more likely to get involved with like physical play and like team sports mm. and that sort of thing but how much of that is just a social yeah, thing that a lot of boys are pushed that exactly. way exactly and like you know? as scientists when or researchers when you're like studying that or doing experiments you're looking for that kind of thing because yeah. that's what you think or that's what you hypothesize yeah. and you want your results to to reflect that yeah you have to be so, very aware of your yeah. own biases i think to properly carry out these yeah. kind of studies because they're so difficult yeah exactly and so as you're saying their play is a way that they learn uh, animals learn and they also learn just by being around other animals like the society mm. that they live in can help like decide what they learn for example if you're from i don't know you say you want to dance but no one in your family dances you probably aren't going to become a dancer yeah. and learn how to yeah. dance Whereas if you are raised in a family of dancers, you probably will learn. So yeah, that's the same yeah. kind of thing with animals. If you're living, I don't know, if you're an animal that hunts, you'll learn to hunt. If you're not an animal that hunts, it's very unlikely that you'll learn to hunt. So mm. your society does reflect what you learn. And um, that's called cultural transmission. And ideas that are spread through cultural transmission, do you know what they're called? <laughs> uh, I... Oh, memes. Memes, I, yeah. Yes, I do remember Exactly, this. because the idea spreads so fast. It's so much faster than through evolution. So, I mean, memes, that, there you go. I yeah, was it Richard Dawkins that uh, coined that term? Who? I think it was Richard Dawkins coined I'm that term. not sure. You know what? Is, Didn't look it up. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure I heard that, which is pretty bizarre considering the you know modern meaning of meme. That yeah. is an evolutionary biology thing, not a... Exactly. internet no. virality yeah they're stealing it from us but whatever we're not salty about it <laughs> but yeah so cultural transmission it's like i said sort of like your genes and then the environment that you're raised in is what you know helps or basically what decides what you're going to learn yeah and um a lot of the ways that cultural transmission takes place is through teaching and or social learning but 
first of all, I'm going to focus on teaching. So for teaching, you need an educator or a demonstrator. So this is someone that's going to show an observer or, you know, someone that doesn't know what's going on, what to do. Um, and an example is uh, the fat head minnow. So they're a type of fish. <laughs> some scientist was naming that. I was like, I, I hate this fish. Yeah. <laughs> so um, their predators are pikes. Um, another fish <laughs> and so if you add the odor of a pike into a tank where you have a demonstrator so someone that knows that this odor means oh predator I should be scared yeah. and you have an observer who like doesn't really know what it means if they see someone re like the other fish react like oh my god I'm so scared I'm gonna go hide the yeah. observer will do the same yeah and it's sort of teaching it or like it's learning by observe okay that's probably not an example of teaching that's more learning by observation but you need a demonstrator so yeah yeah um but they, they did the same experiment where they put two observers. So that's two um, minnows that don't know what the pike odor means. Mm. And when you add in the pike odor, none of them react. They just act normally. So if you're not raised in an environment where someone's going to freak out when the pike odor yeah. is present, then you're also not going to freak out. Um, and another thing that studies have shown is that the educator or demonstrator needs to be a living thing. So they have a similar experiment to the cat mm. one where they have a rat in a box <laughs> and I love they, putting these things in yeah, boxes yeah I know they really do and if the rat pushes um, a lever forward it gets a reward and they basically put this rat in the box and they have a mechanical lever yeah. that moves itself and it gets oh. the reward and the rat just doesn't, doesn't know, figure it out it doesn't know stupid what to do rat. I swear and then they get um, a teacher like a demonstrator rat to show it to yeah. you know push the lever and then the rat is like oh yeah i'll just oh. push the lever so, but i wonder then how like how do they even know that something is living to what extent do they need like certain characteristics to be expressed yeah. like if you had a robotic rat that was like moving yeah. the lever would it figure it out or does it need to be slightly more rat like that's the thing as well like it might just be in the rat that it needs to be a living thing yeah maybe yeah but I, I, even I so i think that's an like, interesting i wonder where the line is like how surely if it looks like a rat yeah but, yeah, but like what smell. defines looks like a rat you know what i mean yeah. like does it look kind of like a rat how realistic does it need to be i'd say fairly realistic like it probably needs to smell like, like a rat as well yeah like a top of the range robo rat <laughs> yeah like really top <laughs> yeah um but yeah and then for teaching as well the, the thing is that the reason that some behaviors are thought of as teaching uh, rather than just a, a behavior that, you know, an observer sees is if there's a cost to the teacher. So this mm. can be seen um, usually with mothers and their children, <laughs> their infants. So in cheetahs, the, the mothers, sometimes they'll just before killing the prey, they'll bring the prey back, you know, almost killed and they'll let the cubs properly kill it but if the cubs can't do it or you know the whatever it's killing starts running away halfway through dragging it to its cubs they're gonna lose a meal yeah and they're, so that's like a really really big cost to them yeah and so that's why it's thought of as, as teaching and the same for chimps sometimes they leave little implements and nuts near an anvil for the young to you know crack them open but if the young don't see them then and, and the chimp forgets you know yeah. that the nuts are there or they could get taken by another chimp yeah you yeah. know so there's that sort of cost to the teachers as well right yeah, yeah. That, that makes sense that's the big difference then between just like learning by observation mm -hmm. like it's one thing watching maybe your mother hunt yeah. but then if you don't actually get to try it yourself and the mother has to sacrifice losing some meals yeah over teaching you that yeah yeah pretty cool do you want to yeah. say something but, about teaching but, but, I, but i think even uh that whole thing of tools uh 
one of my friends actually studying neuroscience. So I asked for some, you know, interesting facts about learning. I was like, surely, surely you'll know. Um, yeah, so shout out to my friend Isabel, who told me this. Uh, she told me to look up, uh, and she actually sent me a link to this article about crows yeah. and how intelligent they are and how good they are at learning and uh, teaching. Really? Uh, yeah, so they, they teach each other to do things. Um, and they actually, not only do they use tools, mm -hmm. but they make tools. What? Which I had no idea before. Like what I've heard of, I have heard of monkeys making tools. Cause, so before it was observed in crows, it was taught that only humans and non-human primates could make tools. Yeah. But then now crows yeah, have just been added to that some, list. Some animals, can't they like use stuff? as tools like a yeah. stick or whatever yeah but it's a whole but different thing to go exactly to, yeah. to go and make them is different yeah because that that involves like the mental capacity to go yeah i need to do this task in order to get this done i need to make this thing like that's a couple of steps yeah. whereas it's one thing to just pick up a rock hit it something and go oh that worked <laughs> you know what i mean there's a there's a few more mental steps involved when you're making something yeah so i actually watched the video then uh, and it was fascinating i would recommend <laughs> giving it a google um but Went essentially, the real hole there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what happened was they had this kind of nut or some sort of food item, like where they had they had sort of a glass screen with okay. like that was slightly off the ground. So there was like enough so the crow could even like look under the glass and like see the nut, but couldn't reach it. Could they not see it through the glass? Well, could see it through the glass. Yeah. But it could also look under and okay. just be even yeah. closer to it and okay. just be like, and it put its beak through. It couldn't quite reach the back of the thing yeah. to get the the nut. So uh, they had a few like sticks lying around yeah. and uh but they were sticks that fit into some of the other sticks okay so essentially the the crow was like looking was like getting really frustrated <laughs> it was funny <laughs> one, one of them uh was looking at the nut for ages was like picked up one of the sticks and the sticks alone unless you attach them together yeah. weren't long enough so it used like one stick i got really frustrated I just went ah! <laughs> <laughs> and, and then it flew away and then it came back it was like i'm determined i'm gonna yeah. figure this out and it stuck one of the sticks into the other one like placed it in like properly yeah. then picked up the like double stick yeah um, and then stuck it under the glass and like kept shoving the nut like again and again until it fell out of the little hole at the end like it fully knew what it was doing Whoa. it was like you could see its thought process yeah. unfolding as you were watching the video it's just absolutely fascinating <laughs> and then i don't know just a little squawk of frustration was just really funny <laughs> that was just like too relatable yeah i was like that, that was actually the most relatable part because i don't know if i could have figured that stick thing out myself to be honest <laughs> and then moving it into the hole i think that 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 crow would have outdone me there um yeah so then another important area of learning is in navigation because you have to figure out how to get around the place and not get lost uh, well a lot of animals do anyway so there's loads of ways organisms have learned to navigate uh, some of them much more sophisticated than others. Uh, wood lice, very basic. Yeah. Um, they just keep turning, just keep running around in circles. Um, if they're in a nice place, because that means they want to be there. So I want to stick in this place as long as possible. So if I run around in circles, yeah. I'll stay in a nice place. Uh, a nice place for them is somewhere dark and damp. <laughs> so, you know, different definitions. Yeah. <laughs> um, but sometimes that dark and damp place might not always be dark and damp. So mm -hmm. what happens if it changes to, uh, you know, light and dry that would be terrible so then they run around mostly in straight lines because yeah. if you run in straight lines you're going somewhere else and uh -huh. um, so they go mostly in straight lines uh until they find another dark damp place and they start running around in circles again <laughs> so extremely basic form of navigation but it does the job for them yeah. you know that's all they need to do they just because they don't even have a home to go to necessarily yeah. they just need to be in this dark damp place where they get and get their food and that's it they don't have 
don't have to worry about other responsibilities whereas other animals do and that's why things need to get more complex Uh, so there's uh, the next form of navigation is a quite a bit more sophisticated it's called dead reckoning and uh, it's been observed a lot in desert ants so essentially they estimate how much they turn every time they turn um, when they leave the nest to get food Um, and then uh, when they get their food and they're walking back to the nest they actually have calculated in their brain how much they've turned and how much they've walked in each direction and go okay so it's just a straight line there so they do all these turns go all over the place finding the food and then straight line back to the nest and don't they have some sort of different vision or something where they can yeah so that's that's not really some some animals then also rely on um on vision so they can see for example uh the polarization of daylight yeah i think some ant species can and some birds like they can follow lines based on light exactly so if, if you can see the polarization of daylight that means during the day if you look up at the sky you'll see lines um, and they'll always be going the same direction. So whether it's like north or south or wherever. So if you know every time you turn, if you have a little glance at the sky, okay, so I turned north there, but still quite a feat to add up all your turns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I Uh, I definitely would not be able to do that. No, definitely Um, not. So you keep wandering and then you you eventually find your way back because you just calculate and walk straight line and uh that's the only explanation i have for how some of my friends have gotten home from nights out (laughs) they just have some sort of innate ability to do these calculations because they've stumbled their way home against all the odds um so then our question is you know for a lot of these things how did scientists actually figure this out so you talked a bit more about experiments than i did but for this one i had a proper look into it um they moved the ants around um, when they were going back to their nests so essentially disrupted their calculations so like picked them up and said and just like put them on another path like completely flip them around whatever confused them um and then they they found out that they just kept walking in a straight line they were just they just had this innate program that they were like i know i was going the right direction so i'm just gonna keep going straight even though they'd been moved no yeah so that's kind of sad this is like unrelated but reminds me of you know like chickens or something on an egg or something like that and if it rolls away it like runs and like goes to sit on it or something or no, wait. Or no, yeah. No, it, it goes up to it and like needs to peck it back towards itself so that it'll sit on it. Oh, yes. But as it's like like bringing the egg back to sit on it, if you like take the egg out, it'll keep doing it and then yeah. sit down on nothing because it's the same. It just thinks like, oh, I just need to keep bringing the egg back. And even yeah. when you get rid of it, it just does it. Because anyway. it hasn't actually learned like the like, feeling of the egg or anything. Yeah. Like that. It's just like if I keep pecking action, in this direction and then sit. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah, what that it, reminds me of. Yeah, so that's why these innate uh, you know, trainings are really weird to observe sometimes because you yeah. think it's for this specific purpose, but the way it's evolved or uh, something like that is just a set of movements. It's not mm. for a specific object or for a specific purpose necessarily. Um, so yeah, that's, that's really cool. Uh, so scientists, yeah, they, they figured that out by you know, putting them in the wrong straight line, so just watching them go off into the distance in the wrong direction. <laughs> Um, and then, yeah, as I said, there's also fish that can see the polarization of daylight. So that's another okay. form of uh, navigation for fish. That's how they know where they're going. Um, and again, that's only during the day, though. So, yeah. uh, that, but that's a, a reason why a lot of animals are active during the day. Because oh, if wait. you can perceive uh, the polarization of daylight, then you're going to want to use that skill to navigate. And you won't be able to do that at, in the nighttime. Yeah. I didn't know that, but that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. So well, that's another one of the reasons. There's obviously other reasons for why it's good not to be nocturnal a lot of the time but uh, yeah. that's that's a big one um and other animals remember things using landmarks 
So bees and wasps are like the big examples of this. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, they wasps. they tested this experimentally by putting loads of cones around uh, this wasp that burrows into the ground, and they put all these cones around one of its burrows. Okay. Uh, essentially, the wasps then flew out uh, to do their thing, <laughs> and then uh, and while they were gone, the scientists moved all the cones into a circle around just a hole they'd made themselves, like okay. the scientists made. And then the wasps flew back, saw the cones, and was like, oh, that's our burrow. Yeah. Uh, all flew into it. And then in a panic, they all left, kept flying around the burrow, kept flying in and out of it, in oh. and out. They didn't know what was going on, you know, because their young weren't there, yeah. their food wasn't there. They, they, they so were sad. So, yeah, for quite some time, they were very confused because they were sure that their burrow yeah. was in the middle of all these cones. But eventually, they started looking a bit further because they realized they must make some mistake yeah. and they did eventually find their burrow they but, okay. they, but, they were, <laughs> but they were relying on the landmark more than anything which is why yeah. they were sort of in a bit of a panic yeah it sounds like a bit of an like elaborate prank like just That's moved so in all the landmarks yeah. over it's quite, I, I was quite like, cruel oh, hopefully like if, if they didn't find it surely they would have put the cones back on their home <laughs> so that they yeah you'd hope that the scientists would do that um so yeah uh they, they did find it eventually um honeybees are well known for this as well so in their first week of life, they fly near the hive and try to remember what all the surroundings look like. And in the next two weeks, they start to travel further, remembering nearby landmarks. And then by week three, they're a full-fledged forager and they start every single flight with an orientation flight. So every time they leave the hive, yeah. they do a couple of laps of, uh, of the hive and just have a look around at all the objects. Because what can happen is landmarks can change. Yeah. Um, so for example, if your landmark is... A flower, yeah, or or yeah, or a certain rock that's then moved by something, or yeah. so you need to constantly refresh your landmarks, and that's what bees do before every every flight, um, and they take these sort of mental pictures, and then amazingly, their brain growth has actually been observed during this learning process. So they've actually like really? seen at different stages of learning these landmarks have their brains grown, and there's the, this part of their brain called uh, the mushroom bodies, oh, yeah. and they grew by about fifteen percent as they started to learn about the surroundings which doesn't sound like a lot but it's no. pr pretty big um, and then yeah. some animals are like really amazing at this so European and American nutcrackers which are birds oh, yeah, they're crazy. yeah they have about 9,000 storage areas for seeds yeah. in a year 9,000 places to yeah, remember I know, I know. I know uh, so they sometimes need to remember these storage sites for up to nine months which is no. pretty long time no. I'd be lucky if I remembered three <laughs> after two yeah, hours no, literally, yeah and then, so after one month, they've been seen to remember about 80% of these 9,000 locations. And the most amazing thing, I think, is they never went to a place where there weren't any. So they forgot where some of them were, but they never went, oh, was it over here? No. Yeah. Every place, Mad. they were certain. That's, in, that's crazy. Yeah. Like, uh, that's, ma that's madness. I think. Yeah, I just think that's pretty yeah. amazing um, that they've just been able to dedicate that much brain power to yeah. that kind of memory. Because it's such an important kind for them. And then uh, one other amazing aspect of navigation is the use of compass systems by some animals. So the position of the sunset can be used to indicate where west is, um, because if the sun is setting, it's always in the west. And the north star you can use to indicate where north is, especially at night. Uh, so then how do we actually test that animals yeah. are going north or west, that they actually know what they're at? Yeah. Uh, so they did some clock shift experiments. Okay. So the idea here was to trick an animal into thinking that there's a different time of the day. Right. So a bird would be kept in a room, not a box this time, a room. Okay. Um, <laughs> at least they said it was a room. Hopefully it was a room. 
Um, but they had no windows. Fair. Um, okay. And they had control of the lights in the room, obviously. So yeah. they, so when the lights were on, the bird would think it's daytime. And when the lights were off, they'd think it's nighttime. Yeah, I want to know, do they fade on and off the lights? Oh, yeah. Like, I don't know if it's a fade or if it's a... Yeah, because whenever I read or, like, you know, see stuff like that, and they're like, oh, we control the light. I'm like, did you fade the light on? Like, is it... Yeah, like, how the realistic do you try to make this? Yeah, yeah, or is it just like, ah, whatever, lights are on. Yeah, lights are on. Oh, crap, it's daylight. <laughs> yeah. So what they did was they um, they trained the, the bird to, well, to think that uh, the sun rose um, at what was actually um, midday, 12 noon, okay. and it set at midnight. Um, so yeah, it's kind of a grim experiment for the bird, just sitting in yeah, a room, a of... just looking at the light. Yeah. Um, so outside, what the reality was that it would start to get bright at 6am and dark around 6pm where this experiment was taking place. So this then confused the bird's internal clock to think it was 6am mm-hmm. uh, when it was actually noon. And then, I, yeah, I don't know why I find this, ne- this next part so funny, <laughs> but uh, they, they then released the bird out of the room. Um, and the birds thought the sun was rising in the east and they flew in the complete wrong direction. I just imagine this flock of birds just being so confident about where they're flying to, going, we're going home, finally, we've left the room, oh and they're God. flying completely the wrong way. It's, not that it's so cruel, but I don't know why I just find that hilarious. I think it's just the notion that they think they're going home, and that's even more cruel. But I don't know why um, I find that funny. But like, yeah, I don't know. Just like, finally, we know this, there's the sun. But like the birds, how are they just gone free? Surely they'd go back and. What do you mean? If they're experimental birds, like, where'd they get them from in the first place? From the wild. Yeah, well, yeah, they were. I think they were taken from the wild. Well, actually, that's that a good question. Sense. Maybe they, maybe they weren't Surely taken they from the wild. they weren't taken from the wild. But then, how would they? How would they test the navigation afterwards? Surely. The oh, bird just can by just yeah. Do that. Yeah, maybe it was, yeah, maybe it was an innate behavior then. So then it's not as funny as I thought, if that's true. <laughs> it was never Still funny kind of, in the first place. I thought it was. Um, I, I just like imagining the researchers like looking like, oh, we were right, as they like fly off in a completely yeah, wrong direction. Yeah, and then what? Like, yeah, they, they just keep flying. Disappear. Like, surely they, they didn't. Ca- I, did they, I don't know, did they catch them afterwards? How would you even go about that? That's a whole other discussion. We obviously <laughs> don't, we're not zoologists, we yeah, don't know. I don't know. Maybe they did. Yeah, maybe they do just leave. Maybe they were wild. Yeah, that like, sounds like way it, crueler, though. Yeah, well, I don't know. <laughs> is, that, is that crueler than raising the animal to... To, to just I take part know. in this clock shift experiment. Yeah, because if they took them from the wild, then they're, like, releasing them, and they're like, finally, we're going on our migration flight to Africa, and they're going to the complete wrong way. <laughs> they're going to the North Pole or You're something. You're pranked. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. And then other experiments put birds in rooms with mirrors, so at least they had some sunlight there, because uh, the sunlight was reflecting off the mirrors. <clears throat> And uh, they used the mirrors to change the direction of the sun. Like, so they thought the sun was rising in different places. Okay. And then that showed also that the birds went the wrong way. Uh, but, but by the same angle that the mirror was tilted. So if the mirror made the sun at a 90 degree angle off from where it usually was, yeah. they would fly 90 degrees in the wrong direction. Okay. Because they were using the sun to navigate. Uh, so yeah, that shows that they were using both an internal clock as well as visual cues yeah. in order for them to navigate. Smart. Yeah, so... Um, and then some animals use uh, sound or smells to, to navigate as well, which is which is pretty interesting. Like dogs, surely. Yeah, dogs exactly. Okay. And then uh, yeah, one one uh, example that I, I read about as well was um, this uh, species of bird. I can't remember what it's called now, but uh, doesn't matter. Especially what <laughs> That's the, most of this. Anyways. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's just us vaguely saying Yeah, we should have looked that up, but yeah. anyways. <laughs> so anyway, this bird, it was very close to extinction. I believe it was an Austrian bird that was meant to fly to Italy uh, every year as a migration. And so because there weren't many uh, birds around to, yeah. to teach the young about this migration, it actually wasn't really happening anymore. So what happens if you know there's not enough parents around to teach the young to do the migration and they can't oh. carry out their you know normal food yeah. patterns and stuff that that only makes the the species fate even worse because they were hunted to almost extinction which makes it even sadder so the researchers sort of felt that it was uh you know i'm sure to some extent they felt there's some sort of duty to sort of try to bring this yeah. bird back because it was humans that had uh and nothing else that had caused yeah. it to become almost extinct kind of like everything else yeah happening at the moment let you all know yeah <laughs> everything becoming extinct our fault probably yeah. more or less anyway, sorry, and, uh, and and then so this actually comes back to the imprinting you were talking about where you sort of the bird hatches and goes uh that is my mother i'm yeah. following that yeah um except they didn't use boots they used a uh light um aircraft no way yeah so they had this like small aircraft where they had like it was only like a one pilot thing um and they had these birds learning follow this aircraft. And then when migration time came around, they followed the aircraft. And the it took aircraft look like the bird. Not at all. <laughs> so basically what we've learned is that for the mechanical rat situation, it doesn't need to look like a rat. Because it just needs to look like an aircraft. Yeah. I guess, yeah, I think it, 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 I think it depends on the species, though. I'm sure yeah, some no, of sorry, them... for the imprinting thing, yeah, okay. Yeah. the boots, they don't look like mom, I suppose. Yeah, actually, I, I do have it written down, what the name of the bird is. It's the Waldrop Ibis, or Ibis, so, you know, it's... It, yeah. Maybe I didn't even need to know, because I'm probably not pronouncing it right anyway. Um, <laughs> anyway, so this aircraft led them on an 18-day trip. So they had stop-off points and everything oh, yeah. where, where okay. the birds would stop. Good, because I was going to say, I was like, surely your, your man wasn't flying for 18 days. <laughs> yeah, no, he wasn't. He, he had even the bird. birds, I wasn't even thinking But I think it's amazing that, like, so between every one of these steps in these 18 days, the bird would, like, stop when the craft stops. And, like, that's crazy. All of that. That's just amazing. Um, and then, and the, and the trip was 974 kilometers. So quite a journey. It was from Austria to Italy. Oh, uh, yeah. No, sorry, 794. Did I say 974? You did. 794. 794. Ah, yeah, sure, yeah. I could run that. No bother. <laughs> uh, and then um, what they did was uh, once the birds uh, were three years old, they were left to their own devices to find their own way back. There's no more aircraft showing and them where to go. And they figured it out. And they did. That baffles they, me. How they, they figured it out and showed it to their kids. What? So then they restored the old migration route that had been forgotten by the whole species. It had, it's now part of the tradition again to fly to Italy because they've relearned that whole trip. That's crazy. Um, so that's, yeah, amazing. So we're actually doing some good things as well. Yeah, there's some good stuff happening. I mean, it doesn't probably offset the amount of bad stuff, but you know, yeah. some people are trying. Yeah. Um, and just like side note, I don't even know. I was going to like try weave this into what you're saying, but actually I have no way of doing it. So I'm just, just going to come go straight out it. with it. Um, the way that this is just a really cool experiment. This is actually my favorite experiment. No, it's not. It's Whoa. it's one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah, that was gonna be a big statement. Yeah, no, my favorite experiment. No, that would have not. to be the whole episode title. No, no, no. This is one of. Oh, we should do that. Sounds fun. Mm. Anyways, this is one of my favorite <laughs> experiments, um, and it's looking at contagion, which is basically where you pick up on the mood or the attitude of the the vibes, the vibes <laughs> of the other animals around you. Mm. that are the same species as you 
And this is I do remember hearing a bit the about Bobo this. doll experiment. Ah, uh, yeah, that's classic. the classic. Um, it's a classic. So, so, by the way, a lot of the stuff we're taking today is from our behavior lectures yeah. uh, from second year. So, yeah, so anyone in second year, great revision for you. Yeah, since we... anyone in second year Trinity <laughs> studying behavior specifically. That's a, a lot of specifics, but they were, you, this is your revision cover. Yeah, basically. You're welcome. Yeah, you'll be grand. It's a great lecture, it, like lecture course. It was really, really enjoyable, yeah. really fun. Lots of just random fun stuff, which is obviously what we're talking about. Yeah. But this one in particular, the best. So the, there's there was actually multiple Bobo doll experiments, but the first one that I'm aware of was in 1961. Yeah, should we explain exactly what a Bobo doll yeah, is? Yeah, I am. I will. Oh, I'll you will. Get, okay, you're I getting, to getting okay, into okay. it. Okay, So they were looking at contagion and sort of observational learning. So like, you know, sensing the mood of the prison wrench. So a Bobo doll, I don't know if it's heavy or not, but I think it's kind of heavy like a punching bag, sort of. But it basically is sort of round at the bottom, so it sort of has like a really low center of gravity so that yeah. it like sits on like a round sort of bottom thing and then it goes up into the shape of like a squash i suppose yeah i think yeah it's definitely the kind of thing if you look it up you've seen it before it's kind of yeah. like you punch if, it if and it'll up, come springing back up yeah if you look up bobo if you just look up bobo doll experiment the photos are hilarious oh they are the best so part so yeah. funny but basically what they did was this was actually a human experiment so they were looking at sort of learning in humans and like contagion in human children and um, mm. so the general gist, there was various versions of this, but um, the main one is, you, well, not the main one, but one of the versions is you have kids sitting in a room. Uh, it's a playroom full of toys. And so you put one kid in at a time. So one kid's in the room playing with their toys. And in the other corner of the room, there's an adult with a Bobo doll and various toys. And some of them are a bit aggressive or violent, like mallets and hammers. Yeah. Whatnot. yeah, they characterize like violent and non-violent yes, toys. Yes, they have violent and non-violent toys. And <laughs> so they did this where they would put kids in the room with an adult that would just play with the toys and they were sort of like the control. Um, they also had a control group it was just kids, I'm pretty sure, with no adult in the room. I could be mm. mistaken, but I'm pretty sure that was a thing. And they also did versions where, you know, uh, boys were placed with uh, men and girls with women and oh, then vice okay. versa to sort of see how, like... Um, yeah, where sex affected that. Yeah, so like where boys going to pick something up more from men. Yeah, than exactly. Women, and same yeah. for the girls. Yeah. Um, but anyways, that's sort of the different versions of it. But so the, the sort of violent one is so they'd have the kid in the room playing with their toys for whatever, 10 minutes. There'd be the adult in the corner. And for the control group, like I said, just playing with the toys for the 10 minutes. But then the violent ones would start attacking the Bobo doll. The like adult? Were, yeah, the yeah. adults. Yeah, sorry, no, the kids were just playing, like the kids were told like- You just imagine just your kids are just there playing and in the corner this adult is like, beating the crap out of yeah, the Yeah, the kids Bobo were told doll. like they're adult, they're the adult like toys. You can't play with them. You play with your toys. toys. And then the, the adults would proper box the dolls and like <laughs> shout at violent things and be like, I hate you, whatever, beating it up. And then the kid would be, then the kid would be brought into another room. The adults would leave and they were like shown some toys or whatever and then to raise the kids aggression they were told okay you can't actually play with these toys they're for all the other kids to play with you're not allowed to play with them and so the kids <laughs> would get angry and they would put them back into the playroom and just leave them there for 20 minutes and see what would happen and a lot of the kids that were placed with violent adults we'll call them would just start attacking the Bobo doll. Yeah. And there's like pictures, the pictures are yep. so funny of like little boys and girls picking up this doll, like throwing, throwing it, around, it the around the room. Or like it's... having it, like pinning it down to the ground. Yeah, I remember. proper punching it, punching yeah. it with a mallet. Like it's so, 
I mean, it's funny to look it's at It's funny, but also quite scary in a it way. It is really scary. Sure, the kids are capable And of. I think they found, yeah, well, they definitely found that, you know, uh, being exposed to that sort of violent person, you would also act more violently towards the Bobo doll. Um, and they also found that you were more influenced by someone of the same sex. Mm. So violent, you know, female ad- adults, the the little girls were more influenced to be violent with them right. rather than with a violent male adult. So you sort and of can distance yourself from it mentally, maybe yeah. if it's the opposite so sex. So that was just something interesting as well. Mm. Um, but yeah, that experiment is just, I think it's so funny. Like, just yeah. look up. But well, you have to see the pictures yeah, to you find really out how need funny to see it is. It probably sounds quite sinister. It does. And it kind of is. It is a bit. Like, like, I don't know if it would get approved now, then, nowadays. Yeah. When I'm was this again? 1961, this ah, particular yeah. one. Back in the 60s. But then I'm also thinking, like, is this sort of like... If you're, if you see people, well, I suppose it obviously is. Like, if you're around like violent people and violent behaviors, that's why you're more likely, I suppose, to be like this. Well, I suppose that's what yeah. this experiment was kind of trying to show. Yeah. Um, and then they also did experiments um, with kids of uh, imitation. So, well, not just with kids, but they were looking at imitation, which is basically just you're watching and learning and copying from what you're seeing. Mm. Um, and it's really hard to know if something is true imitation or not like ah, i remember this whole I mean? conundrum yeah, yeah like it's really hard to know like is it just like let's say someone is sleeping and you're like hey i'm gonna sleep too is it because you're just gonna copy them or is it like oh this person is sleeping so i know it's safe to sleep now yeah. for example yeah is um, it pure copying or is it exactly. something you're inferring from that yeah, yeah. another um, example is like this baby dolphin in an aquarium which so the apparently the story goes the dolphin saw a man smoke and then the oh, baby yes. dolphin went up to its mother, suckled, and blew out milk. the milk. So it looked, it looked like, like it was smoking. smoking. Yeah. And everyone was like, this is class. It's imitating the fella that's smoking. But they, re- but then, like, so people were, like, clapping. And they're like, this is great. And the dolphin did it again. But the thing is, is that when you're clapping it to, like, to the dolphin, you're rewarding it. Yeah. So is it really imitation? Maybe it was the first time. But once you're rewarding it it's not imitation anymore it's like you're teaching it if you do this action it goes back to what we were saying before if you do this action you're going to get this reward Mm. and that's really important when you're uh, doing experiments to keep stuff like that in mind so there's one experiment with um okay it's spelled i-m-o i don't know how to pronounce that imo imo emo i don't know we'll call it imo so this was um a japanese macaque and this was an experiment in 1959 but basically scientists just put out rice for these macaques onto the sand rice and potatoes yeah and this one particular so so macaques are like a a type of monkey and for anyone that doesn't know and this one particular one imo picked up the potato and washed it in the in the sea because like it was sandy on a beach and like washed it and then they were like this is amazing and then they put out more food because they're like this is so cool we want to see them do it again and they found that other macaques were picking up this behavior and they're like oh they're imitating it they're learning you know i need to wash it and this is you know yeah how to eat but the thing is each time they saw the behavior they added more food which yeah, again was is a reward yeah, yeah a reward and it's like stimulus enhancement that instrumental learning of if you do this action you're gonna get a reward so you need to be really careful when you're doing experiments like this you know looking at animal behaviors because you don't know how 
you're affecting their behavior. Yeah, it's a very complex area. Yeah. It could be having a big like, influence. I actually have one more example. I know we're running out of time, but this one is actually really cool, which is... Oh, wait, we have time. Yeah, it's it's Hans, uh, the, the clever horse. I was, I was going to talk about the clever horse. Go on, you talk about the no, clever horse. I, was, I've been doing I, I actually talking. did. I wasn't planning on talking about it. And then when you mentioned that whole area, I was like, yeah. I have to talk about Hans, yeah, Hans the on. clever horse. Tell the people. So, now, and this is all from memory of these lectures now. So you okay. correct me yeah, if you've looked over it recently. Uh, from what I remember, uh, there was a man and his horse. Yes. He uh, was making a bit of money by saying, my horse can do basic maths yeah um, <laughs> same uh, uh, yeah. it was mostly mostly addition i think i don't think they stretch too much into multiplication but i think I the think odd it was, time i think it was addition subtraction multiplication division yeah okay so, so all of those but but with pretty low numbers i think yeah. the catch was he, he said oh you can only do it with low numbers but people are still pretty blown away by this yeah i mean you would be yeah of, can of do course maths. yeah like so people would you know say two times you know write up two times two for the horse yeah. to see so he would have this thing where you had to write it up for the yeah. horse to see um and then so how would the horse tell you it would stamp its yeah. foot yeah it would the yeah numbers. so um so if it was like two by two the horse would go hopefully you can hear that over the mic yeah you uh, definitely can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think the mic is quite sensitive so you probably can um and then everyone would go nuts because they're like whoa the horse did it yeah. like everyone be clapping cheering um and then there were some skeptics who were like i don't know yeah. this horse seems a bit too clever for its own mm -hmm. good i'm gonna figure this out yeah um and well first of all then they, they got the horse to try to do big numbers and the horse would just keep stomping his foot and stomping his foot for quite a while and it would eventually just stop so they thought that was a bit strange but then of course the excuse from the owner was just oh we just can't do big numbers yet yeah. you know um, but what they eventually figured out was it was the fact that there were people watching who were excited that got yeah, the horse to do because they did experiments where the person who was like writing up the, so like someone would write up the maths but then the person looking at the horse like wouldn't know what the sum was so ah, they yes. wouldn't know what answer they were looking for so the horse was actually picking up on cues from the people around it. Yeah, it's the anticipation, wasn't it? Yeah. I think I remember hearing like when we sort of expect something to get excited, we lean forward a little yeah. bit and sort of smile and yeah. the horse was like, oh, that means stop. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, so if the person looking at it didn't know the answer, then yes. it wouldn't be able to do the math and that's how they figured out. So same thing again with the experimental science sort of situation. It's just like... Yeah, that horse it, couldn't do maths at all. It seems like it could do maths, but yeah, not really. But, yeah, <laughs> all, all, it just wants some attention. Yeah, but there have been experiments done quite well where they've tried to limit that sort of um like us having an effect on what the animal can do one example is with his name is Oki Choro or Choro or something Oki Choro <laughs> it's a parrot okay. um and he was shown to to show true imitation so basically they put the parrot in a room where they videotaped it and every now and again um one of the scientists would come in and say a word and do an action so for example chow and would like wave its arm nod and do the action of nodding and say look at my tongue and stick its tongue out and after and they would give the literally no reward no response they would just leave the, the parrot in the room hmm. and they would continually do this you know every like couple hours throughout the day and eventually the parrot would learn did learn to do the action and make a sound that resembled what the person was saying so it would say like nod and then the parrot would nod mm. and so the fact that 
you know, the scientist didn't give it any reward, didn't even come in and out, was only observing it through yeah. a camera, that they, they were like, oh, that's, that's true. Yeah. Like true imitation yeah I suppose people do associate Paris so much with imitations so it's good yeah. to know that they are the real deal yeah they are and um, there's <laughs> this other thing called emulation which is where you understand the goal of an action mm. sequence so I suppose it's kind of like the, the crow situation so you know what you want to do and uh, you figure out your own means of getting there so a lot so of it's time, not something you've seen before necessarily yeah well I think with emulation though I think you have seen it before okay so I think it's like you've been shown like how to do an action and you or how to achieve a goal and you can do it yourself right you figure it out in your own way okay so so, if, so let's say with the crow example if the goal was to get a nut yeah then they would go oh so you can get a nut using that i'm going to use this other object yeah, right? they figure exactly, out a different way exactly. yeah okay. just like yeah just like that so it's not complete so, imitation exactly yeah. it's not complete imitation they're achieving the same goal but they're doing it by different means and I love this one. This is another one that I think is really funny because... Is one of your favourite experiments? Well, or not one of my favourite of how they classified <laughs> the things that... So I'll just tell you yeah. that the animals they looked at were chimps and human children. And I just love that they're mm. in the same category. <laughs> <laughs> human children aged two, three and four, equivalent to chimps, according to this. Study. Adult chimps though, wasn't it? Um, or was it? Yeah, adult yeah. chimps, I'm yeah. pretty sure. Now I don't know, but that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> that's grand. <laughs> so they have these things which they call in the experiment foraging boxes. So it's just like a box with like bits that you need to like click in and out of place so that it opens and inside there's a reward. So of like a little kind. puzzle. Yeah, it's kind of like a little puzzle. Yeah. But they call it a foraging box. And through doing this experiment, they found that chimps, so you show them how to do it. Someone shows them and chimps emulated so they would be like oh the aim is to open the box uh -huh. i'll figure out how to open it myself by sliding it whatever by pulling a knob kind of like the twister thing where you twist bop and pull it. yeah oh bop it that's what <laughs> the it twister thing. sorry not twister <laughs> bop it yeah so there's like loads of different parts that you like pull and twist i hope they weren't getting those hints like saying bop it <laughs> yeah no <laughs> <laughs> bad experimental design yeah, don't do that, that guys <laughs> don't give a monkey bop it no well i'd say maybe, class of bop it you know what maybe that's an experiment i'll carry yeah, yeah. But just see what happens if you give a monkey bop. I do, yeah, maybe I should formulate this experiment a bit more. Yeah. Have a hypothesis. Proper hypothesis, just, yeah. Not to, just to the Irish government. It. I want funding for my yeah. puppet experiment. <laughs> with this Very chip. important research. Medical applications. <laughs> um, and they also found that children imitated, um, which I mm. thought was interesting. I was like, oh, surely the kid's smart enough to look, whatever. Mm. But like children, and, and the, the thing is, the older the kid gets, the more it imitates. So the younger oh. it is, it's, or the younger the child is, like two or whatever, two and a half, it'll emulate, it'll be like, okay, I'm trying to get this, but the older it gets, it imitates. Mm. So it'll even imitate it, I keep saying it, but the child will imitate irrelevant movements. So let's say the person uh, showing yeah. it is like, I don't know, turning a lever and then scratches its head. The yeah. kid will turn the lever and scratch its head, Yeah, which is just... I don't know, like. And you're saying it's the it's the older it's the older kids the that older do that kids more. Yeah. more. I wonder if part of that just like is sort of laziness because I feel like even adults like if you show any adult or maybe even like an older child yeah how to open this box and then you're like open that box they're not going to be bothered doing it another way they know there's one yeah. way that works yeah. whereas maybe if you're so young and like almost yeah, naive in a way you're just like. like you just remember that the box was open, so it's like, crap, how did I do that? So if you look at the photo, they look kind of complicated. Really? Yeah. I don't know, maybe they weren't. Maybe there was just one way you could do it, like just yeah. pull a lever. But to me, it looked like you had to do a couple of steps, maybe. Mm. So I would feel like, oh, if there was a couple of steps, surely you would emulate as opposed to imitate. 
Hmm. But maybe if there was only one or two steps, you would imitate. Yeah. But it's the fact as well that they do irrelevant movements. Yeah. It just shows it's just... just, Yeah, yeah, it's just weird the way... Hmm. It's weird the way people learn. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think that's kind of most of what I've got, to be honest. Yeah, I have a little bit here on uh, how sort of zoos are trying to teach animals uh, Mm -hmm. how to do certain things. Uh, So especially for pre- uh, preparing animals for reintroduction. So if your zoo is oh, trying yeah. to get animals back into the wild, you know, the zoo environment sometimes isn't the best training ground for uh, being in the wild. Um, so a lot of behaviors are learned and not innate, and that's the, the big problem with zoos. Yeah, that's true. So, uh, for example, birds like the Californian condor and whooping cranes. Uh, they learn uh, who to mate with and who to follow uh, based on the first things they see. So again, then it comes back to things like using the light aircraft to teach migration patterns, that kind of thing. Um, but the success of these things also improves when you play a, a sound of what its mate or no its parent is supposed to sound like. So if you have this plane that's making a noise like its mother would, yeah. then it'll go, oh, that, that sort of reinforces the idea that this is my mother. This is something to follow. Yeah. Um, like the goal is to avoid the imprinting on humans because you don't want the animal to become reliant on humans or in the wild to go oh a human i should go over there oh, yeah, um yeah. yeah because that's not going to be a good idea for them uh so a, a lot of zoos have species specific costumes now to avoid uh oh, this to avoid so imprinting so actually, yeah so even when they feed certain birds they use a glove that looks like the bird and they don't yeah. actually show themselves the, the human sort of covers up and just you can just see this bird hand yeah. feeding. I just have an image of a the person panda. In like a, yeah, yeah, panda suit. Yeah, what? that that this for panda breeding programs. They try not to get any imprinting on humans, so they have these people who have to like move things for the panda or try to bring them closer together and stuff. Pandas are really bad at breeding. That's a whole other conversation. But breeding, uh, breeding. Or breeding like no breeding okay. with a D. Making babies. Yeah, making babies. They 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 just don't want to do it. They just want to be extinct. It almost looks like they're, <laughs> they're not listen. very good at that. They just. <laughs> Anyway, uh, so sometimes humans, even to try to get the animals in the mood, dress up as a, as a, as a panda and <laughs> do certain things that I'm not going to talk about. What's your job? Well, <laughs> yeah. I dress up as a panda. <laughs> yeah. I do a little dance. <laughs> and make some fun sounds. Yeah, that's, that's not one for the first date, I wouldn't say. Uh, so yeah, then they go into the enclosure in these panda suits and then interact with the, with the pandas. Yeah. So that's a, on that bizarre note, uh, I think that pretty much brings us to the end of what we want to talk yeah. about today. Animal learning, very diverse area, very hard to investigate, but yeah. seems like great fun to investigate. Yeah, there are so many more fun stories. Like it's... Yeah, that's just a taste yeah, of, what, of what there is to, to learn there. And, you know, it's especially fun if you find it hilarious, like animals flying in the wrong direction, like me, you know? You might, you, so mean. You know, I, 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 don't know if it, I don't think it would actually, I'd find it hilarious if it actually happened. You yeah. know, I think it's just the idea of it that's funny. Yeah, I think it's really funny when they use human children in experiments. Like, <laughs> Whoa. I, it's just like, it baffles me. Yeah. Chimps and children, yeah. same level, same level. Or maybe they are, I don't know. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I don't I, even know would they allow that now. I don't know, yeah, like I don't know special. what the current landscape is in behavioural studies. I assume it's a lot more difficult and probably rightly so. Like some of yeah. those children, the Bobo doll experiments, like they could have created some serial killers there. Yeah, crazy, crazy children. Um, yeah. So yeah, <laughs> I, think, I think that's it. We're going yeah. to say bye. Uh, tune in again next week. Yeah, we, yeah it's going to be cool, guys. <laughs> Thanks <laughs> <ya>. for listening. <laughs> bye.